0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see you out today. Enjoy worshiping with you. It's a good time of the, the week. I believe this, when you give God the first fruits of your week, He'll bless the rest of your week. So you did a good job today. If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand up real quickly? Our ushers would like to get you a Bible then this morning, for all you taking notes, we'll go to James 4, Amos 8, and Revelations 3. There you go. That's where I'm going to go. So organized today. Say, way to go, Pastor. Way to go. Thank you. Trying to help you out here this morning. All right. As you saw there, we're starting a new series called An Enemy Called Average. And we just want to help us to get out of neutral or average. And so every one of us in here, our, our lives will take the shape of what you care most about and every one of us in here we're we're wired to worship every one of us I don't care who you are you're going to bow or you're going to kneel to something so the question isn't are you a worshiper the question is rather who or what do you worship so what we're going to do these upcoming weeks we're going to take a different passage every week and it may look average to you and so again Our goal is to get you out of average. God doesn't want you to be average. So go with me to the book of James chapter 4. Now, I I will tell you this morning, it's going to be a little stout, okay? Sometimes the Word of God can be really, really stout. So again, I'm just preparing you to welcome the Word of God and receive it. Now, if we were to start in James 1, James 2, James 3, he starts out and he addresses my brethren, my brethren. So literally right here, he's talking to church folk people. So we start James 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Now he asked this question. Where, where do wars and fights and quarrels, do they come from among you? Do they not come for your desires, for pleasures that war in your members? So guess what he just told us there. These wars and these battles that are on inside of every one of us have to do with our flesh. And our flesh, it longs for certain things. And so literally what I believe is happening within every one of us is there's this tug-of-war. And the tug-of-war is between my, my spirit, my heart, and the things of my flesh. And what you're going to realize here is as long as you're on this earth... You're going to have to deal with this thing called your flesh. And what I found out, if I don't deal with him, he has the tendency to get, act, or behave very badly. And so this is what he's talking about. Verse 2. You lust and you do not have. The word lust there, it means a strong desire. And what happens with these lusts is they desire to express themselves. If I was to take you to 1 John 2, verses 15, 16, 17, it would say all that's in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. So when he says, you lust, then he ended it with this. But you do not have. You can lust after this thing and lust after this thing, but what he's telling us there, it won't satisfy. He says next, you murder and you covet, but you cannot obtain. So when we look at the word murder, That might not not mean that you actually kill somebody. But remember, the Lord Jesus says that you can think that in your heart. And so when you see the word murder, that's like you're plotting revenge on someone, and you have the thought, you know what? If I eliminate them out of this world or in their life, it's going to bring a satisfaction. It's not. And then he uses the word covet there. And the word covet means to desire earnestly. So he says two things in here. You can do this and this and this and you won't have. And you can do this and this and this, but you cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Now there's the struggle. This interpersonal battle within every one of us. You fight and you war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. So, when you see that right there, you know what I believe he's telling us? You've taken God out of the equation. You try to get all this stuff out of your own abilities. So, he says in verse three, you ask, but you do not receive, or you fail to receive. So, one party says you don't ask, and this party says you do ask. Why do you not receive? Because you ask amiss, or you ask for the wrong purpose that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So these things right here that we ask for, and you can fill in the blank in your own life, they become a substitute, they become an imitation that only God can fulfill. Only God can satisfy. How I many of you have ever said this? Man, if I just got a pair of those new new shoes, those new Yeezys. You say, you even know what Yeezys are? I do, I know what Yeezys are. I don't have a pair. For you who don't know, that's a $500 pair of tennis shoes. Now, if I get a $500 pair of tennis shoes, they're going to be house shoes. I'm not wearing them out of the house. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere with those dudes. One, I don't want to get them dirty. And two, if you spot someone with a Yeezy, you're going to knock them out and take them. So you better not wear them. Now, I'm just kidding you. But again, we look at things like that. We have the thought, man, if I could just have that type of car... That, that, that job, this or this and this. And so we're always grabbing for things that we think will satisfy us. But if you do ever get those things, you know what you find out after a period of time? They didn't satisfy. You may have got a new coach purse, and guess what? What do you want for Christmas? I want a newer coach purse. I want a newer for my birthday. And so again, this is what he's talking about. So every one of us in here, we have these desires for things that are nothing but imitation. I want you to hold on here, okay? Because this is where it's going to get really, really interesting. Verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. So when you read that right there, when I see those words, my first thought is somebody's cheated. But when I'm studying this the other day, In order to be an adulterer or an adulteress, you've had to first be married. So literally when I read that, he's identifying someone that's broken the covenant or their vows. Now he's saying this to us as believers. So how does that look? Well, when we get born again... The Bible's very clear that we become the bride of Christ. And so, guess what he's telling us? He's saying, You've broken the vows with the Lord Jesus. Better stated, You've cheated on Jesus. And when I look at the word adulterer and adulteress, that's only revealed by my actions, my desires, my behaviors, and my lifestyle. So if you're married in here, my wife's not in here, for me to be an adulterer with her, you know what that would say? I cheated on her. And so when you're in a marriage covenant, that's not part-time. I don't go to my wife and I'm going to pretend she's right here right now and say, you know what, dear? I'm going to love you on Mondays and Thursdays, but the rest of the time, sorry. Sorry. See, again, we we understand that thought in the natural. But he's talking about this in a spiritual sense. And guess what he said? You, You cheated on Jesus. And when I do that, I'm nothing more but average. Nothing than average. At the best. So, who is he saying we cheated on? Or how did we cheat? He goes on to say... Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enemy with God? So guess what he just said. You can't be married to Jesus and be married with the world at the same time. And when we see the world right here, it refers to the world's systems. The world's philosophies, the world's values, the world's mindset. And they run contrary to the Word of God. So i got to live my life based off of the Word of God. Because if I don't, I fall into this trap that he's talking about right here. Verse 5. Or do you not think the scripture says in vain, the word vain means no purpose or useless. So he said, the spirit of God who dwells in us yearns jealously. Now, when I look at this, I think what he's trying to tell us is at times we, we, we blow it off. And we act like, eh, it's not a big deal. God's okay with it. What's the matter with a little sin as long as it's just ever now and then? But if you'll notice there, he said the Spirit of God yearns jealously. That word jealously means earnestly. So guess what he's telling us? Jesus is not into sharing. He wants all of us. And we don't give him all. Then we look at what he said in verse 4. Verse number 6. But he gives more grace. More grace for what? I believe he gives us more grace to live for him. When we call out and we say, Lord Jesus, I want to live for you every day. Here's a good thought for you. What would happen if we started every one of our days and said, Father God, I welcome your grace in my life today. I welcome you today, Lord. Grace me to love you with all my heart, all my soul, and all my might. Grace me today, Father God, to be a champion daddy. Grace me today to be a man of God. And so he said he gives more grace. And look what he says after that. Because God resists or he opposes the proud. So if we were to identify proud or pride, it's a form of arrogance. It's a form of, of haughty. It's a form that says, I got this, I don't need you. And the reason that you see here, it says God resists or opposes the proud. And you know, this is the only place in the Bible where you can find that God resists people. He doesn't resist the sinner. He doesn't resist the thief, the murderer, the drunkard. But he does resist the proud. You know why? Because we say, I got it. I got this. You know why this is such a big deal to God? Because pride is rooted in the devil. The reason the devil was expelled from heaven is because he got into pride. To help you with that, Isaiah 14, starting in verse 12, it lists the five eyes the devil says. The devil says, I will be this, I will be that. I will do this, I will do that outside of your help, Father God. So anytime I take on the form of pride, that's the, air, uh, that's the fragrance of the devil. You smell like the devil. I don't care who we are. But he ends and says, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you know what grace is? It's a gift of God. It's an empowerment of God. And it's to those who are humble. The word humble is rooted in the the robe of humility. The best definition I can find for he gives grace to the humble is this right here. It specifically means to bow low. To bow low before God. In other words, to acknowledge, Father God, you're the creator, and I'm the creation. Father God, you know what's best, and I welcome you. Verse 7, therefore submit to God. The word submit there means to be subject to God. So listen to what it says here in the, the New Living. It says, humble yourself in full obedience to the word of God. So for me to be submitted to God, that means or it's revealed in my obedience to God. And my obedience to God is revealed in my actions and my attitude. So if you're really a person that says, you know what, I'm submitted to God. I'm going to live in subject to God. Are you in full obedience to the Word of God? Let me help you with that just a little bit. That means the Ten Commandments... Aren't multiple choice. I like number one and I like number two. But number four, I really don't like it. No, something happens when I live in full obedience to the word of God. And so if I don't live in full obedience to the word of God, it's an enemy called average. But if I live in full obedience to God, look what he says. Resist the devil and he'll flee, to, uh, flee from you. By submitting to God in total obedience, you know what I can do? He said, you resist the devil. You resist him in my name and he'll flee from you. And he said, if if you're submitted to God, this is what you can do. Verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. One translation says, come near to God and God will come near to you. Again, it's kind of like a game of checkers. You know what God's saying? You get the first move. Do you choose to draw near to me? Now look how he ends, verse 8. Let, uh, draw near to me and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. How do I cleanse my hands from sin? I repent. I repent. I confess my sin before God. And guess what? He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll wash you. 1 John 1, 9 is where every one of that is. And then he ends this and says, and purify your hearts, you double minded. You know what a double minded person is? He's a person that attempts to hold on to God with this hand and hold on to the world with this hand. You do that, the best you're gonna be is average or lukewarm. And so he tells us right here you don't wanna be a double minded man. Because if you study that out and you follow that passage where it cross-references, it says in James 1: a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So, again, when I come in here on Sunday morning and I'm a saint on Sunday, but I'm a sinner on Monday, you've come to be a double-minded person and you're going to be unstable in all your ways. So, what the Lord is beginning to do here is He's beginning to raise or elevate the bar for us. And you know what I believe He's saying in here? I don't want you to be average. I don't want you to be in in an affair with the world. Now we go to the book of Amos, chapter 8. Famous Amos. Where is Famous Amos? Well, that's between the book of Joel and the book of Obadiah, back in the Old Testament. Amos, chapter 8, is where I'm going. Now as you're turning there, let me give you a little history lesson. Amos is going into the, the northern kingdom of Israel. And he's going to them with, with some strong words. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel, these are God's chosen people. But what you'll find out about here is Amos is going in to confront them in their life. And guess what? They, they don't like Amos. Actually, there's many of them that want to kill Amos because he's telling them the truth. Now the reason I read this is because I believe to a degree this is this is America to this day right here. So begin with me in verse eleven, Amos eight eleven. Behold, the days are coming, are surely coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. Now watch this but of hearing the words of the Lord. What he's telling them right here is is the reason you're in the predicament you're in is because of a lack of the word of God. And so when there's no word, there's no direction. And when there's no direction, God is not going to lead you and, and guide you. God gets silent in those times. And so he's telling them right here, there's a famine in your land, and the famine is because you don't want the word of God. Verse 12, they shall wander, they shall drift, they shall stagger from sea to sea and from north to east or border to border. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Now what this is talking about here is they went to everybody they could, anybody and everybody, for advice except the word of God. So they have completely drifted from the Word of God. From living by the Word. Verse 13. In that day, the fair virgins, or the young girls, and the strong young man shall faint from thirst. Thirst of the things of God. I want you to get that right there. That day, the fair virgins, the young girls... And the strong young men. I don't know if you've realized this right now. But in our society right now, there's a strong fight in the spirit realm for our sons and daughters. For our children. I believe right here the way Amos is dealing with them. You know what the problem was? The parents had gotten away from the Word of God. And because the parents had gotten away from the Word of God, started messing with their children. So he goes on to say this. Those who swear or make an oath by the sin of Samaria. If you were to study the sin of Samaria, it was sin... Sex. Pastor, you shouldn't say that word in church. Well, where do you want us to say it? I don't know about you, but I I really don't want my child's third period history teacher to be telling them about sex. Because you know what? They're probably telling them a bunch of junk. I had to choose my words carefully there. This is what's happening in our society. What's the matter with a little sin, long as it's just ever now and then? Everybody's doing it. See, that's the cry of our society, right? Everybody's doing it. So you know what? If everybody's doing it, it must be okay. And you're going to hear this come back into play a little bit later here, this, this stuff of everybody's doing it. So he goes on to say, who say... As your God lives, O Dan. Now, now I want you to look at something. If you look in your Bible, the word God in that verse is little g-o-d. So it's not talking about the great Jehovah, Father God. It's not talking about Adonai, the supreme master, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's talking about a false God. And when he talks to Dan, Dan was one of the kingdoms of northern Israel. So the the children of God of northern Israel are now looking to this false god. So it goes back to what I started. We all worship. You're going to worship something or someone. And then he goes on to say, And as the way of Bersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Here's what Dan and Bersheba means. Dan was at the top and Bersheba was at the bottom of the northern kingdom. Everybody between Dan and Bersheba was about to fall to pieces if they didn't hear the Word of God, if they didn't start heeding the Word of God. And so I'm I'm encouraging you today. You got to get in the Word. You got to read the Word. You got to hear the Word. You got to see the Word. You got to obey the Word. And the Word of God will change us if we'll stay with it. Today in America, there'll be a lot of messages preached. But how many messages in America will be preached with little or no of the Word of God in it? Zero. The Apostle Paul in his last book, 2 Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 4 to a young pastor named Timothy, he said, Preach the Word. Preach the word. Listen what that says in the message. It says, proclaim the message with intensity. You're going to have to tell them the truth. And sometimes I realize this, the word of God can be like a heavy dose of cough syrup. Sometimes you really don't want to take it, but when you do take it, you find out it's pretty good for you. It's the same with us. Now, if I had time this morning, I would take you to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, roughly verses 13 through 18, you find a thing called the armor of God that God tells every one of us to put on. Every piece of armor but one is for the defense. It's defensive, defensive, defensive. The only one of the armor that offensive is Ephesians 6, 17, and it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why is that such a big deal? Well, the Lord Jesus, if you were to look in Matthew 4, when he was tempted by the devil, the devil came at Jesus three times on three different occasions. And every time, you know what Jesus did to shut him up? Jesus said, It is written. And everything that was written, Jesus would say, it is written, and then he would speak it out of his mouth. So what happens with me and you, we take the Word of God, which is the Logos, the written Word of God, and the written Word of God, it comes alive when we imitate what Jesus did, and when we speak the Word of God out of our mouth, it's called the rhema, or the spoken word. That's where we've got to get back to we got to get the Word, but you got to start speaking the Word of God out of your mouth. If the Word of God was that powerful for Jesus to use, what about us? And in that passage, Matthew 4, 4, the Lord Jesus said, Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen or oh me. Sure got quiet in this Presbyterian church. No offense to the Presbyterians. Go with me to the book of Revelations, chapter 3. Revelations, chapter 3. Now, as you turn to Revelations 3, you might want to put your, seat, uh, your spiritual seat belt on, okay? And I'm just going to warn you, this is pretty stout. In the book of Revelations, chapter 2 and chapter 3, the Lord Jesus wrote to seven different churches. I believe those letters to the seven churches are an ongoing application for us as believers to this day. So we begin, Revelations 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here to start with. Number one... It's red letter words, so this is Jesus talking. Number two, he wrote to a church. He wrote, he wrote to church going folk like me and you. And so he said to the church at Laodicea. Now, Laodicea is, is two, two words: Laodicea or Disea. The word Laodicea and Disea today means the the opinion of common people. So what begins to happen in the church of Laodicea is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are not the rule of that church. The opinions or the majority of common people is now the rule of Laodicea. So let me tell you what that means. When the majority of the people come together... And they say, this is how we ought to do it, or that's how we ought to do it. That's the rule of the church. So guess what they've done? They've overrode the Word of God. You know what they're saying? We know more than you, Father God. We've advanced past you. Now, without throwing names out there, I can mention denomination after denomination... That's done that. That's doing that in the name of people. Tell you right now, we get we get away from the Word of God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. That's why America's in trouble. That's why God doesn't want us to be average. So he goes on to say, these things says the amen. The amen is 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are are yes and amen, or so be it. It's a done deal. Ever promise, it's going to happen. He goes on to say, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. To sum that up in a nutshell, that's all Jesus. Every bit of that's talking about Jesus. He is the fulfiller and the fulfillment of everything that we just said. Verse 15. To the church folk at Laodicea, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know how you're living. I know your behaviors. I know your lifestyles. Now, I like when I read this, I like to think of myself in this verse. And I want you to put yourself in this verse because whether we like it or not, Jesus looks at every one of us and he says, I know your works. Sidney Bacon, I know your works. Tommy Slater, I know your works. Now I'm pointing some people out here, not to pick on them, but what I want you to do for a second, what would your answer be to the Lord Jesus? Ah! Just needed to wake some of you up today, okay? Look what he goes on to say. That you're neither cold nor hot. You're neither cold nor you're hot. I want you to think about something. Cold can be really good. What about a cold drink of water? That's refreshing. Hot can be very good. But he said, you're neither cold nor you're hot. So to the degree, you know what he's telling us? he said. You got some knowledge, you just don't have any power. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then, because you are lukewarm, you're casual, you're hardened, you're self centered, you're nominal, you follow God part time, you're an enemy called average. Now, when I look at what he's getting ready to say here, and he says, "Then you, you, so then because you are lukewarm, lukewarm is nauseating. It's a nominal state that prompts a strong, strong warning from Jesus." Now, watch this. Because you were uh, lukewarm, neither hot or cold. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. So I'm meditating on that and I begin to think about that. The Lord Jesus said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Any of us in here that's ever been sick and we vomit, the reason we vomit is because whatever's in our body It rejects it. And it rejects it because it's not good. So think of this right here, that when we live lukewarm or nominal in Jesus' eyes, He rejects it from His body. Man, when I read that, I thought, oh my gosh, Lord. Lord. I don't want to live in that way. I don't don't want to live. Now, this is Jesus, and and I don't believe he was just using this as a figure of imagination. I believe he's telling us this this was reading to church-going folk. I told you this is going to be stout. This is going to be strong. Why did he say that? Verse 17 because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy. Now let me, let me throw this in here for you on that. Because you say I'm rich because I'm wealthy. Even though you or me may not be rich or wealthy, is that the goal of our life? Is that my focus? Oh, if I could just win the lottery. Uh, Again, I don't know that the Lord's against that, but the question would be, why do you want to win that? Is it so, whoo, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, and if you'll notice the next state there, he said, and I have need of nothing. I've got life by the tail. I don't need God, even though I come to church. Oof. Again, I want you to tell you something here. I I put myself in this right here. When I read this, you talk about God dealing with my heart. I look and think, oh Lord, am am I so out of alignment? Let me tell on myself just here a minute. And I think this will bear witness with a lot of parents in here. How many of us have said this? I just want my kids to have it so much better than I did. Not at the expense of them running away from God. I want my kids to be blessed. But I don't want them to... To get on the overpass of life and go right over the things of God. And we look and we say, "Whoa, my, my children are millionaires, but they don't know Jesus. My kids got everything. Look where they live. Look what they have. But Jesus is vomiting them out. Dang, Pastor, you're preaching, aren't you? I am. Woo! I'm, I'm telling you. If you got around me right now, I, sh- I shake under the fear of God right now. I shake under God's presence because of this. He goes on to say this, and I have needed nothing. Do you not know? now he's talking about spiritually that spiritually, you're wretched, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind and you're naked spiritually. Is that me? Is that me, Lord Jesus? Reveal that to us today. Convict our hearts with that. Is this me? Verse 18. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire. Man, when you put gold in the fire, the, the impurities come up to the top, the scum, and they take that off, but all the good is right there. And that's what he's saying, Lord. Let the good in my life come forward and get rid of the scum within me. Look what he says, that you may be rich with the things of heaven and white garments. You know what white garments are a result of? A heart that repents. Because when we repent, the Lord Jesus is the great stain stick. And he comes in with that stain stick. And when you repent, he washes you white as snow. He washes you clean. You know, it doesn't matter if you just have a little drop of, of coffee on your white shirt. It's still, a, it's still a mark on you. Or you can have a shirt that's fully, fully covered with coffee stains. Now, the reason I'm going to highlight this, because that's to me to a T. If I have a white shirt on, it's almost got coffee stains on it. Why? Because i got a hole in my lip. Truthful statement in here. How many of you men in here, do you drink coffee with a lid on your coffee cup? Or how many of you drink coffee without a lid? There's a few women too. I don't ever use a lid. You know why? Because real men drink coffee without a lid. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And, And it drives my dear wife. And You know, she'd get mad at me for saying this, but today's her birthday, okay? You didn't hear that from me. The Holy Spirit told you, Okay. There's, there's not a Sunday that goes by when I have a white shirt on that when I get home she inspects me. And she says, look at that, you got a spot there, you got a spot there. Actually, I walked into my office the other day and one of my staff members had just really blessed me. You know what they blessed me with? A Tide stain stick. I thought, I can take a hint. Years ago, I'm doing a, a funeral down in Austin, Texas. And we're driving to the funeral, and I don't know the area I'm in. And man, I make a wrong turn, and I realize this isn't good. Oh no, we're going the wrong direction. But I have the ability to improvise. At the spur of a moment. And so when I realize we're going the wrong way, I see the oncoming traffic coming at me. And I had this brilliant idea. And so I said to my dear wife, I said, hang on, dear. And I dropped down in that ditch, and man, I went through those weeds and the mud, and I'm spinning out, mud's going everywhere. And we plop back on the other side of the freeway, and there I take off. And man, I'm really, really proud of myself, like. Well, the problem of that is that day I was drinking coffee, and I didn't have a lid on. <laughs> now, here's the bad part. And I got ready to whip that around. I knew it was going to take everything I had to do it. So I put the coffee cup in my mouth. Well, I was so proud of pulling off the feet. You know, man, to a man, that's a bit. We we accomplished something. And Shelly said, look at your shirt. It wasn't a little stain. It was all the way down. I mean, it was a blob of it. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said... I'm gonna do the funeral. Doesn't bother me a bit. But that's a badge of honor, man. I look at men like they see coffee on you. Look like, yeah, you got the same problem I got. Now I don't know how I got off on all that, but anyhow, it doesn't matter if it's a spot or a whole stain. Jesus will make your garment white as snow. Jesus wants to get us back on track. Oh boy, keep reading. And he said, and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Let me ask you something. How many in the church this morning, right now, are dominated by shame? Oh, God, I don't want people. I'm so shamed. Well, you know what he said? Not only am I going to wash your garment, I'm, I'm going to take your shame. I don't want to shame you. He should have shouted for that one. And he goes on to say, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So, So literally stating here, this church was in desperate need of the grace of God, but also the Holy Spirit to come upon them to illuminate their eyes again, where they saw with the eyes of understanding. Verse 19. And as many as I love, I rebuke. The word rebuke, it implies conviction. The Amplified says, I tell their faults and I convict them. That's not a bad thing when he convicts you. He goes on to say this. To those I love, I rebuke, and I chasten. The word chasten means to train. It means to instruct. It means to be uh, gracious but firm. Therefore, be zealous. The word zealous actually means to be uncompromising and diligent. So he said, be, and ultimately, and repent. So this is the Lord, the Lord Jesus said, man, I want you to repent. I want to be able to forgive you. I want to be able to bring you back into a right relationship. So we end this morning with this, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. And he be with me. Many times I've heard pastors preach on this and they use it to bring sinners to come to the altar. And I'm not against sinners coming to the altar. But every bit of this was addressed to a complacent church. This was addressed to church folk. You know the sad thing is Jesus is on the outside of the church and he's knocking and for every one of us in here today, he says, if anyone hears. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and dine with him. And so to every one of us this day, Jesus is knocking. And you can look out your little peek hole and say, not today. But Jesus keeps knocking. And if you'll notice something here, he says, if anyone hears and opens my door, Jesus is not going to kick in the door. He's waiting for each one of us to respond. And it's interesting that he says, I want to come in and dine with you. You know what he's literally talking about? I want to have intimate fellowship with every one of you. I want to have a relationship with you where I can sit at the table and look at you eye to eye. And he says, I want to dine with you. So when you think about dining, he's talking about hunger. So what do you hunger for today? He said, I want you to hunger for me. I'm the bread of life. I'll end with this thought. The book of Luke, chapter 10. One of my favorite passages, starting in verse 38 through 42, had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha was busy, 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 busy. Just too busy to get around Jesus like she needed to. Luke 10, verse 39, the Lord Jesus said, Mary's found the good part. She sits at my feet And hears the word She comes into my presence She dines with me You know when I dine with my wife This will help some of you young ones Maybe some of you old ones Put your stupid cell phone up What verse is that? Proverbs 33, 33. Not kidding, just kidding. There's only 31 Proverbs, so. (laughs) Jesus wants to fellowship with us. He wants to love on us. He wants to help us. But if I quit making time to come to His feet, and and I I blow the Word of God off like it's ah, hit and miss, and I can do whatever I want. We get in this state. And every time I read that about the church of Laodicea, something moves within me and says, Lord, I don't want to live that way. And more so than that, I believe Jesus said, I don't want you average. Because average gets you vomited out. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit FaithChurchLubbock.com.